The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. This episode is part of a series of episodes specifically anchored around Plant-Based World Expo 2022. It is presented by Plant-Based World Expo and has been produced in collaboration with Plant-Based World Expo. If you haven't heard already, Plant-Based World Expo is the must-attend 100% plant-based trade show designed exclusively for food service and retail professionals, distributors, investors, and manufacturers. Now in its third year, Plant-Based World Expo is where you'll discover innovative plant-based products, hear from industry leaders and pioneers, and connect with the right people from the trade. And you'll be the first to sample mouth-watering plant-based food from groundbreaking U.S.-based and international companies. Well, Spencer Walker, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited. So let's start with uh, your role at Target. I'm, I'm, I'm curious and very eager to learn more about the work that you do. So let's start there. Yeah. Um, long story short, I've been at Target 12 years. Uh, eight of them were designing product for our own brands or private label brands. And so I went into um, brand development, brand vision, brand management, and then fell upon this role to really dive into uh, supplier diversity. So I lead a team called the Merchandising Vendor Development Team. Uh, we take on the direct side of the business. We always like to start with our mission and vision statement. So we're out there to identify, develop, coach, and mentor uh, minority and women-owned brands to connect to our ecosystem at Target. Because we all know retail is it's crazy. Uh, it's up and down. It's it, If you don't know certain things, you don't know who to ask. But at the end of the day, one of our biggest pieces here is around equity. And so my team is also here to help build intergenerational equity. Uh, with and for you. So that means true partnership. So my team is out there really talking to brands and seeing what they need. And if they're ready for retail, let's have that conversation. Let's get you in front of a buyer. Let's start 
amplifying your voice, let's give you the resources that you need to talk apples to apples um, with the business. So yes, it could be a target. I love, that's why I'm at Target, but we want to set you up for retail in general because your success is essentially our success and we can all grow together. And how much of what you do is focused on food versus other retail categories? Yeah, uh, my team is enterprise wide. So we have five big categories and food is one of the biggest. And personally, I love food. Uh, as we talk about authenticity and coming together, um, having the right representation and inclusive food brings more people together. And we want to make sure that Target's uh, main purpose to bring joy to all families shows up through food. Uh, if you can see a brand on the shelf that reminds you of home or your, your mom or your, your grandmother's cooking. For me, I'm from Mississippi and I always think about my grandmother's uh, chicken and dumplings. And so if I can find that on shelf without making it from scratch, because I probably can't do it like Granny does. But if you see something that resonates with you, that's what is special uh, at Target. So it's a part of my my team's business, but it's a huge part. Yeah, food's um, exciting, right? It t- touches on so many facets of our life. It's literally collect- connected to everything from yeah. our land through uh, the impact on climate to the use of resources to of course, the people who are involved, both from the actual growing of uh, crops to the, the people who are able to package our foods in, in factories. So it's, it's um, not, not to say other retail uh, segments don't have those uh, elements in it, but food, like you rightly pointed out, has this cultural element that is sort of unique to it. I think we are, we are definitely less attached to uh, other material things uh, than we are to our food habits, right? Because we have memories with our food. So to me, it's always like it, it, food tends to get lumped together just as another industry or a category when the layers that you have to peel to truly understand what's going on are far more complex than just merely uh, a trend or industry projections or numbers or uh, because those things can shift so quickly and you don't even quite understand what's causing those shifts sometimes. Yeah. And there's a part of part of like um, the personal piece and then also the historical piece. So when I think of what you just said, you know, thinking back to I'm a black man in America and thinking about the dishes that I had. and I married a woman who was Italian. So like we have our blended world together. So there's nights where our dishes are plentiful. They're they're amazing. They have cultural connection, but they also have memories. I love that you said that, that it digs into the memories and understanding the supply chain of who's made that, who's grown it, who's curated it. And it's special. And that's why, I mean, I love food. And I love the category of food. And the, my, my, my favorite adventures to whether it's trade shows or visiting key suppliers is getting to taste it like that's the biggest part like what what triggers that memory is when you taste it using your your senses the smell the taste the feel Um, there's nothing more special than getting to try someone else's dishes and their food and if it's a business who has a certain cookie or a dressing and they say taste this what does it remind you of and if you feel the human connection that's what makes it exciting that's so correct um i'd love to learn more about um how Target approaches its partners. I know you kind of touched on it, but uh, we hear a lot more about different companies out there trying to be more inclusive and have a more diverse product set. Uh, and you know, we see multiple interpretations of what that means. And some of it sounds good and means nothing. Some of it means a lot, but no one really quite understands what's going on. 
Um, of course, you can only provide the perspective that you see. Can you tell me more about what your team has been working on and what Target's general approach to this is? Yeah, um, I think the two things, there's process and then there's the actual human connection. Um, we try to say with my team, human-centric approaches paired with business tactics, because if you don't have both at the table, it's hard to move things forward. At Target, we have obviously big enterprise strategies. One of them is reach, uh, racial equity and change to help build and support Black-owned businesses, Black communities, and, and make sure that we're supporting equity properly. But from now till 2025, and we have goals out there publicly if you want to check it out. But one that I'm closely tied to is the $2 billion in spend, but also increasing the number of Black businesses that I engage with. But that also encompasses supplier diversity. So making sure that we're also talking with women-owned businesses, Hispanic-owned business, Latin-owned, Asian-owned, LGBTQ+, veteran-owned. That's the, the entire bucket. Um, so that's like the human side. We also have Target Forward. When we talk about sustainability, that's another big enterprise strategy we have in understanding how do we go all the way down to the supply chain and be as equitable and sustainable as possible. So we get to the other side, the business side, making those processes work, uh, establishing a better intake form that you fill out. And my team gets to see kind of behind the scenes and say, hey, we saw that there was a gap here. We identified it as an amazing brand. How might we partner with you? Like I said, true partnership to say, how, how might we build up that manufacturing wing or how might we build up that logistic capability? And last but not least, the marketing arm. How might you communicate your story through your packaging? Um, and obviously we have tools and resources to offer, but being coaches and mentors, my team is literally doing that. And um, obviously there's rep groups, there's distributors who we're also connected with, but how might Target go one step further, um, change the system, but also e evolve the ecosystem to connect the right brands with the right people in our um, our buying wing, our merchant team to say, hey, we have a line review coming up. We have a set date coming up. This brand is perfect. We've talked with them. We've created a bond with them. So I think going back to the human piece, it's not just a transaction. Target literally wants to become a partner with you. And the only way to do that is really engage with the human, but also talk business. I always compare it to Shark Tank. I love Shark Tank as a show. But if you try to do that in your life day to day and you're presenting and, and you feel like they're saying no to you, it, it, it changes things. Um, no, no, no offense to the guy at Shark Tank. <laughs> but when someone says no to you, your memory says like, man, they said no to me and my business. But, you know, that emotional memory can last forever. So what is that business memory separated from that emotional memory? Did we talk about the tangible things that got you that no? Are we talking about those things that can next time get you that yes? That's what I want to get to, is that it's not just no forever. It's just no now because of A, B, C, and D. And when do you, you and your team typically come in? Is it through, are you introduced to these brands through your buying teams? Or is this a set, like what's the right pipeline through which someone, say we have a brand listening who yeah. is excited about everything you're talking about. Is they, Would they reach out directly to someone at Target? Or how, how do you typically engage? When does that you know point of engagement begin? So going back to that process piece, I'm an engineer by trade, you know, graduated with industrial systems engineering. So if the process doesn't work, nothing will work. So we said, how might we have a handshake moment? Intake forms are intake forms. But if you go to our supplier diversity page at Target and I want to be a supplier, you fill out that. It's two pages. Literally, you get entered into our ecosystem. And so my team is diligently going through that to make sure that we're pulling and, and engaging with the brands on there. We're also going to trade shows. 
So my team is seen as the sourcing wing of national brands. So yes, coming to us, you know, be the first step as we'll take you to the buying team. We'll take you to the certain heritage month team. We're facilitators, ambassadors, liaison into the merchandising world. And so I, we've been, I stood this team up a year and a half ago. So like it is new, but the people on my team are experts. I consider myself someone knowledgeable within the manufacturing world, but also the merchandising world to understand and assess and say, this is the right choice for you. How might we get you in front of that, 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 that merchant and have good relationships with our merchants? That's the other part. It's not just great relationships with our vendor partners, but great relationships internally to make sure that we're bridging the, uh, the gap. I love that you, we touched on food and its impact on culture and how it's such a, it's so intertwined that you almost cannot separate the two from each other. Um, so I want to go back to food a little bit for a bit, and then we'll take the rest of our conversation more focused on Target's approach to plant-based foods, which uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are very curious about. But in recent years, have you noticed a lot of uh, shifts in food consumption that Target is particularly excited about? Are you seeing any trends emerge? And if so, what would they be? So the two trends I would call out, <clears throat> Target's a big company. So when you come in, you might be coming for detergent, you're coming in for soap, but we have a large food um, presence in our stores. So one of the trends is replicating regionally uh, appropriate authentic food. And so it may not be a one specific category, but understanding what resonates, what are people using day to day? Um, our lifestyles have changed. Uh, I was talking to someone about sitting down and having dinner with your family. Like, that may be an hour or 10 minutes. So how might we create uh, the right meals that don't take 10 minutes when you only have 10 minutes? Uh, how might someone come into the store and say, oh, my God, that's that's my rice. How do they quickly can and resonate and say, that's the meal I need or that's the piece of the meal that I need? And how can I cook it quickly or prepare it for the people that I love? That's one of the biggest trends is that the way that we're making sure the entire shopping experience resonates authentically with the guests. On the other side, the other trend is making sure that it's clean and making sure it's sustainable, um, getting away from things that are harmful, um, not the fast diets, you know, the ketos and, and things like that, but also just, you know, what's in the product and you know what it does for your body. Um, so making sure that everything on the packaging is clear, but also the ingredients are, are, are taken care of. I always talk about purposeful brands, but also in the food world, purposeful um, ingredients. So making sure your ingredients and where you're getting them from um, are, are, are clean, for instance, but also just making sure that they, they're, they're helpful and sustainable for people in their bodies. I think that's one of the other biggest trends is that we have got to feed people quickly, but also what are we feeding ourselves? And, and people are, are aware of that. Yeah, I love that you mentioned both those things. I mean, let's touch on the, the regional thing first. How is that, from a practical standpoint, how is that... Uh, easy to implement given that you are not just a, a, a local uh, grocery store, you are, uh, you know, a, a giant company that spans a pretty big geographical footprint. So do you, so how does one tackle that issue, assuming certain regions or certain parts of the country um, have a preference for certain flavor profiles or certain types of uh, foods? Do you, uh, you know, are you onboarding brands for specific markets? Uh, I'm just trying to understand how do we keep regional tastes in mind while operating at some somewhat of a global scale these days? Yeah. Um, Target has the luxury of 
close to 2,000 stores across the country. So, yeah, we can activate our supply chain to uh, satisfy those regional needs. What I also say on the other side is you know your business better than us. So if you say my core demographic is in the southeast and my food resonates with the, the, the individuals who love this, like let's make sure that we get you in those stores because we clearly have stores in that region. Um, if it's also helpful for your supply chain and your distribution to, to get to those stores based, based on shelf life or anything, you know, refrigeration, so on and so forth, let's make sure that we're doing the best for you, set you up for success. So I always talk about transparency, especially in the food world, because if you have something in a region that just doesn't resonate, that could hurt you. So having that transparent conversation and knowing your business is the first step. The second step is understanding if you have key partners that handle your infrastructure or your supply chain, connecting them back with our key partners as well, whether it's our distribution centers or our stores, to make sure that they're advocating for that. Our marketing team is advocating for that. So it's kind of like the big wheels, they turn, but they can turn without you. And we got to make sure that we turn at the exact same time in the places that you want to turn. Uh, and, and, and it's not a new conversation. It's just reactivated uh, to make sure that we're respecting and partnering with the small businesses, but also bringing those businesses to places that they may not have been seen before. That's so crucial. And on the second part uh, on sustainability and sourcing of ingredients, both of which are things we hear a lot about in on the press, obviously, but they tend to be conflicting reports on whether those are actual consumer trends that drive purchase decisions. And I may, may, let's take clean ingredients. Perhaps one can say that consumers definitely uh, value uh, the impact of certain foods on their health. And so there is a trend towards better for you eating that's been happening for, for years now. Right. So maybe that's, that's, that's one that we can, we can all agree that there is enough um, demand and enough supply, hopefully enough supply on that side. The second part, sustainability, is a trickier one because we keep hearing the consumers want more sustainable products. Uh, but yet, you know, a lot of data has come out or research tends to point to the fact that most consumers still make purchase decisions based on factors like the taste and price of products, uh, especially when it comes to food, right? Taste, price, and of course, the availability of the food is what drives someone's decision to buy it. Have you seen signs that um, sustainability or at least labeling of sustainability, whether that is uh, accurate or not, um, drive certain purchase decisions. I I think that would be really fascinating to, to dive into deeper. Yeah, it's it might sound simple, but it's a very huge lift. Um, education, I think that's the biggest part for us. Is since we're a mass retailer, how might we educate certain products, certain materials? Like I said, the Target Forward initiative. Obviously, there's zero emissions, but there's a people side of that. There's a people and planet. Um, arm to what we're doing for Target Forward. And so for us, I can speak on educating our guests because we call all consumers that come and shop with us our guests. We treat them as family. So you're not going to lie to your family. You're not going to give them something that's hurtful. So we try our best to communicate that and that res- that, that's trickled down to our business partners. Like, how are you communicating that? How are you doing your own marketing to communicate that? Because obviously we have 10,000 other brands that we're trying to make sure we're communicating. But in the moments that we can pull together and communicate it all together and educate together, that's our biggest piece. And then, you know, storefronts, store shelf, 
in caps, like communicating that way. We're trying our best to, to educate, to allow people to have that discussion and have those choices or make their own choices. So for us, it's, it's really about educating internally so that we select proper brands, but also educating our guests with our, our suppliers. Because like I said, you know your business better than us. You're able to tell them what is good, what is bad, and just have that connection um, and tell the story. I'm a, I'm a storyteller at heart. I love good stories and people resonate with good stories. So how might you tell your story properly to allow our guests to go deeper versus just assuming that the trend is this and going down the, the rabbit hole and finding themselves going, this is not what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, authenticity is, um, is a word that gets thrown out around a lot, but then what you end up finding is most people are just sort of piggybacking off an existing trend and trying to uh, leverage someone else's authenticity to uh, meet their needs. And sometimes it works out, right? It works out. You might get into a category that is trending upward, and next thing you know, you're maybe number two or three in it, and that is is a great way to approach business for some. Um, Let's look at the plant-based category now. Um, Of course, it's set of it kind of connects to everything we've been talking about so far, right? We're talking about clean ingredients, sustainability, uh, the impact of culture on food and food on culture. Mm-hmm. Plant-based as um, you want to call it a movement or a trend or a shift, it sits right in the middle of all of it. Yes, and, it and I'll just briefly, of course, we anyone listening to this is probably aware of the reasons why um, foods that are plant-based Um, could be a game changer for our food system, um, for the lives of people, for the impact on the planet. Uh, It requires less resources, um, all those reasons. I'm not going to repeat them. But I think we're familiar with the idea that a shift towards more plant-based foods cannot be a bad thing. And especially if you can do it in a way that factors in regional flavors, uh, factors in uh, existing supply chains, um, and leverages existing food consumption habits and preferences and tastes uh, and culture and memories and all of that, then you've hit the jackpot, right? You're, you're sitting in the middle of a opportunity where you can offer someone foods that are better for them, better for the planet, that meet all their tastes and uh, cultural uh, associations with food, but accept they're making a better choice and hopefully at a price that is uh, competitive. Yeah. That's the promise of plant-based. And it's, you know, it's, it's not a new category, but of course it's sort of had a resurgence in the last uh, six or seven years, I would say. Um, I'm going to start at a high level and then we can, we can drill down further. What is Target's approach to the category? If they even look at it as a category, where does it fit into its list of priorities on, on food? Let's start there. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into details of how plant-based has performed. I would say the three things, and I love all the pieces you hit, um, but the three things for Target, um, as we look at the full assortment and you know the buyers, they're the ones who are ensuring the, the right choices are being made. We come in with some, some insight and data as we think through authenticity, just being able to walk into the, sh- the store and see that's a meal for me or that they, they considered my, not only my diet, my, my needs, but as we think through recognition, the material, uh, not materials, the, the ingredients, I always think about like cashew milk and um, slutty vegan burgers or like, you know, the things that not only resonate, but they're authentic and they communicate 
exactly what you need. And I think the last piece is that since we're such a big retailer, as we think through our entire assortment, we want to make sure that there's a balance. Uh, not saying everything needs to be one and the other. It's, it's you, If you walk in and you want to have a balanced meal or you want to be able to have something that reminds you of home while also having an ingredient change or shift um, that's better for your body or better choices that you want to make, you have that. Um, I go back to the joy for all. In order to, to, to replicate that, that feeling of joy, you have to have balance. So we work closely with our merchant team to say, hey, what is that balance? How might we add some more of this? Because our, our guests are saying we don't see it, especially regionally or um, in the, the balance of our assortment. That's, that's great. And in terms of categories, uh, have you seen some emerge as uh, leaders yeah. in this space? I mean, meat is obviously one of the biggest. Um, uh, dairy or beverages is another one. I think there's a huge uptick in, um, what did I just see? Maybe frozen, as I break up our categories, as we think about where you see it and shelf life and making sure that we, we have it available. There's a few categories that have jumped up to the top. I mean, I'd say this is my year two journey in uh, this conversation. So I'm even eager to learn more. Um, so, you know, sometimes I piggyback off of experts like yourself. If you see something, like, let me know. Yeah, it's such a wide range of possibilities. And we've seen some initial uh, momentum in certain subcategories, you can call them. Um, but there's so much more to be explored, especially I think the is we have seen some early signs of it, but there's this whole, uh, this focus on how do you actually recreate certain flavors and, right. and that reflect regional tastes that maybe in the plant-based space, uh, a lot of companies have not been focused on. I think they've been, there's been a lot of attention on the obvious categories like burgers or yeah. uh, plant-based milks and because they've seen early success. And so there's been a lot of uh, products that have, again, uh, double down in the same category and try to launch new brands that, that meet that consumer demand. But there's only so much room in, in those categories. You've got to find other ways to utilize uh, ingredients and flavors because we're talking about food here. It, it is not technology, even though there's a lot of technology that can go into the production of food uh, to yield some really positive outcomes. In the At the end of the day, you've got to get, you've got to get people excited about the food. Yeah, I, I recently, going back to um, being on trade shows, I was just at the LGBTQ um, NGLCC uh, National Conference, and one lady's business was plant-based sauces that connected you back to her Italian grandmother's dishes. And I had never even thought of that. So if you blend a different choice with cultural reference, she had Alfredo sauce, she had a bolognese, like it was all the things that you would have without uh, uh, the meat and the, the dairy it was just amazing it was amazing yeah and as and so generally uh, would would this be a category that target is still optimistic about and obviously the reason for that question is because um some estimates say that the growth is slowing down but again that seems to be in the same categories that we've seen a lot of focus which is like maybe the, the plant-based meat so burger category um would you be able to tell us Target's overall view and uh, outlook on this? Are they bullish or not about this category? It's strategic, uh, making sure that um, 
setting brands up for success. So like you said, the bigger trendy hit the hit the ball running categories have been great for us. And how might we bring the right brands in in other categories uh, to help awareness? I think that's our biggest piece and being strategic to say, all right, this year, let's do some more research. Because I'm excited how Target approaches things. We don't want to over over index and hurt a brand. So we want to make sure that we have the right data and insights to help us make those decisions with and for those brands. So um, no category, not yet, but that doesn't mean not forever. Yeah. And then, of course, Target has its own focus on private label. Uh, and that's just not limited to food. But, of course, you've done some interesting uh, moves in the food space as well, particularly even in plant-based um, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about uh, Target's general approach to when and how they choose to um, launch a private label product in a particular category? I believe in the plant-based space, you have over 2,000 or something now, uh, last I read. That's the uh, first I've heard that number, but I know it's growing. And um, going back since I was in own brands and now I'm moving national brands, I may not know the specifics anymore, but I do know and I can support that our one of our brands... Uh, Good and gather. Um, mm-hmm. You find a lot of options there, and it's it, the core ethos behind that is good food for all people. So making sure the food is good, the ingredients are good, and bringing the right food forward. So that since I've stepped away from that business, I don't have much insight anymore. But I I, I can confidently say that they're they're building the best brand uh, in the food industry. Yeah, I. Um... I, it's always good to see when um, an industry uh, leader as big as Target uh, is early on uh, or jumps onto a trend fairly early on and makes some big commitments. Um, how much of that is, I mean, I'm sure there's a factor here because it's popular and it's trending in a positive direction, but from a sustainability standpoint, I know Target also has a big focus um, again, food, as we've talked about, is a is one that really can have a significant positive impact on our environment if done right. Uh, plant based food, again, has that promise. Um, are you seeing signs that there's some correlations being made between Target sustainability commitments and their commitment to source more plant based foods or shift certain product categories? Uh, into an area where you can proudly state that it's going to allow Target to meet certain emissions uh, commitments or zero waste commitments in the future. From a, a national brand standpoint, we've we've done a lot of identifying, sourcing, and, and assessing. As we tie back to Target Forward, we have our you know, zero emissions by 2030, you know, promises and, and claims out there, but. I think we're still on a journey. Um, this is one of those transparent moments. Like if you have the connection, it's like reach out because we only know what we know. And as big as we are, we try to cast a wide net, but I feel like we're, we're just scratching the surface and trying to gain partnerships, whether it's deep into the ecosystem or supply chain at the farm level, at the distrib- distributor level. Um, you know, I, I I need more. I think we, we're, we're, we're discovering that there is so much more to learn. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to you know take talk with you and take the time because I feel like there's so much room for partnership and Target, we, we pride ourselves on being good partners, but also making sure that we, we're, we're reaching out when it's time and, and activating appropriately. So 
I think the time is now to, to extend and continue to push that. Yeah, and what's the most satisfying part of uh, this this role that you've been on? I mean, you said it's only year two in this new um, role that you've been at at Target. Um, can you share some examples of success stories and and moments that you've you've realized that you're definitely yourself uh, on the right path with this uh, new focus and new team that you're building? Yeah, um, personally, I, I suggest everyone to to establish your own personal purpose. For me, it was to make a positive impact. And sometimes that can be an easy, easy answer. Like that's negative, not gonna do that. That's positive, how might I help that? And so aligning myself to building, let's just stay in the category of food, connecting with this whole supply chain and say like, how can I make a positive impact with this? And I'd give two examples. One is not connected to food, but as we talk about going to the farm level, I worked with the Bridgeforths uh, in Alabama uh, on a cotton project. And I think, first of all, it resonated with me because I saw my own family there since I'm from Mississippi and I felt that same kind of Southern amazing uh, feeling, but how might we connect them with the right people to create something better and build a, a, a supply chain or ecosystem that gets their cotton to the shelf? and continuing to work through that with them. They showed up on Black History Month um, last year with our t-shirts. And so seeing that kind of come together, that process, that fulfillment, like how can we replicate that across the entire industry? How might we go deeper into our supply chain? Uh, Second, uh, working with brands like Black and Bold and Juanita's uh, Juanita's Cookies. Um, There's a few others, like whether you're talking about snacks and coffee and seeing that there's so many uh, solopreneurs. There's a lot of CEOs who, who know their business and they just need an opportunity to talk to the right people. That gives me joy because I see myself like connecting with so many people lately that what I have to offer, you know, whether it's manufacturing or, or merchandising or just the ecosystem, but then what they teach me about the business and we become friends and, and inspire me more. I think I've been more inspired in my career than ever to talk through how retail or demystifying retail instantly and saying, well, it's not that if you're financially sound, you have your manufacturing put together. I always talk about those three things, manufacturing, logistics, and marketing. If you can run a business, e-commerce, like let's talk details. Let's, let's, let's get you where you need to be. And I think the most inspiring thing is I see um, business owners, my age, like me doing this because they took a chance. Um, they identify key partners where they didn't have, in their ecosystem and said, let's, let's do this. Let's amplify this. So I think for me, it's just really, I'm a people person. I love seeing humans succeed. And, and that's been the most inspiring part for me. Yeah. I mean, you get to also work with brands at their early stage, which is also probably super gratifying because you are able to guide them through the, the labyrinth that is a, <laughs> a target and the giant ecosystem that you have, because you know, you can look at it as this confusing mess, but if, if someone can point you in the right direction, it can really set you up for success. I mean, people think um, getting into retail is, is easier than it is um, because other people have seemed to have done it and, and they talk about it as if it was it all happened overnight. Um, and the, 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 the interesting part about retail in general and, and it's even more so in food, but it's gen- it can be applied across the board, is that there are no given playbooks around it. You have to kind of navigate your way through each 
partner in their own way. There's no way on the internet you're just going to be given a template on how to approach this. And anyone who offers that to you um, without having real connections, without having real insights because they've uh, experienced it themselves, uh, is probably leading you down the wrong path. Because um, at the end of the day, you've got to learn how to adapt to each partner and figure out where you fit in. And I think it's so interesting that Target has this approach to work with your partners because I think without that, you really, we um, really cannot set anyone up for success when they're just a tiny startup trying to figure out how to get by. Really, yeah. Like I said, you don't know what you don't know, so ask the questions. But as you think about the total ecosystem, having bits and pieces locked is okay as well. So if you do feel like, oh man, I don't have that, that's okay. You can make connections, you can network, and if you aren't completely there, there's accelerator programs. Obviously, we have an amazing one at Target, but there's tons of other ones who, I see the biggest benefit is you're in a cohort of other businesses who are either trying to reach their potential or just working through certain things and you can learn from each other. There's, like I said, I love seeing humans succeed. So what's more powerful than humans succeeding is doing it together. So if you're in a group, you found a cohort, whether it's a group of five of you who are unofficially doing some type of program together or officially doing something in an accelerator program. Like that's what, that's what it's all about. Um, doing it on your own is great, but if you can do it together, it might, it might happen faster. Yeah. I mean, it is, there's some, there's, you don't have to go and reinvent the wheel when it's been, when there's been plenty of people out there who are happy to share their knowledge and expertise with you. Yeah. Uh, do you interface a lot with your accelerator programs? Is that something that tends to overlap the work that you do? I have a lot of uh, what we call brother and sister teams. So the accelerator team, the multicultural merchandising team, our vendor solutions team, uh, we all work together on a weekly basis to understand how might we uh, fill in the blank. How might we better um, train? How might we better educate? How might we better develop? How might we better strategically work with? So uh, we're constantly taking that wheel and pressure testing and saying what we all collectively know could help be the benefit for another brand, um, whether it's, you say small, but any brand that's, that's emerging, looking to, to be successful and have the things needed to be successful in mass retail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from a general value standpoint, I'd love to get a sense of where Target stands, because of course, we've talked about, you know, sustainability, equity, and, um, inclusion and diversity mm -hmm. and plant-based foods and, you know, all these topics, uh, clean ingredients. And so, you know, fairer supply chains, these are hot button topics that nearly every retailer, every uh, big company out there is yeah. focused on these days. But here's where some stand apart from others is that they don't actually have them integrated into their values. So they're mostly right. virtue signaling versus actually, um, yeah you know, walk in the walk. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how much of what you're doing and what Target is sort of focused on aligns with the core values of the companies? And is it, and what, what, what the company does in general to ensure that this isn't just uh, a thing they have to do now because uh, they don't want to get called out in the press as, as being uh, out of touch versus yeah. something they actually want to do because they believe in it. It, it, and in their core that this is something important and necessary uh, as they grow as a, they continue to grow as a company. Yeah. Uh, I will say two things. I already hit on one of them. 
um, having initiatives like Reach and Target Forward that puts it not only at the center of our business, but it also puts us together to talk about it. Um, obviously, in Minneapolis, George Floyd's murder happened there. And we I think everybody took a mirror and said, what are we doing to build a better ecosystem for people of color? And as e-commerce, as an e-commerce business, how are we doing it? We need to support the community. We need to support the brands that are on our shelf. So I, I give a... Um, I thank our leadership for identifying that and saying, we need to do these things. I'm going to hold the enterprise accountable. Same thing with Target Forward. We've been talking about sustainability for decades, but it was triggered when we realized a lot of our you know, apparel waste was ending up in the wrong places. Plastic was ending up in wrong places. So we said, if we're going to be in this game, we need to do it better. And again, leadership said we need to do it better. So how might we do it? And activated the masses. And so I believe that it's one thing to make a promise, but it's another thing to make set metrics and then hold everyone accountable to it and then creating a culture of inclusivity, a culture of belonging. Um, one lady that used to work at Target, now she's at Essence, uh, Caroline Wenga. She spoke to the entire enterprise at one meeting and told us that showing up as yourself is appropriate. And have that discussion with everyone around you because that's what true belonging means. And I think everyone, that was maybe 2017, people took a, took a look in the mirror and said, what are we doing as team members together? So we always continuously talk about these things and, and inspire to, to be industry leading, but it starts internally to show up outwardly. And yes, everyone's not going to see it or feel it immediately, but that's where the work really gets, gets kicked in. Like, what are you doing behind the scenes when no one else is watching. So as a leader of a team, uh, merchandising event and development team, I set goals and metrics to, to include and build our ecosystem. So if we don't meet those, how might we do it next quarter? Or what are we doing to ensure that we have proper representation in our pipeline, proper representation in our, our partner model, all the way down to who's growing and who's, who's, who's shipping. So I think it's just the awareness that drives Target to, to be better and continuing to, to look in that mirror. And I think you, you kind of uh, said it earlier with uh, when you were started to talk about the work that you do is that it's a process and the work has to be done. And you can't just put this down on paper and expect uh, a massive change overnight. You've got to commit to the process almost um, yeah. and, and, you know, tweak the process if it's not working. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I don't think you'll ever end it. It just continues, right? It, uh, the work continues and evolves as uh, as um, culture evolves, as the priorities of the company evolve. And I think uh, having that commitment is more important sometimes. But backing it up, um, I mean, the commitment's empty if you don't back it up with work and process, Correct. right? So I think Correct. it comes to that. And I think the engineer in me is always like, well, what's what's more efficient than this? How do we eliminate this waste? Uh, how can we Kaizen this a little bit better and, and get it knocked down to two days versus 15? You know, uh, It's never yeah. ending for me, but that's what's fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it comes down to execution and that kind of is dependent on on really planning and, and, and having a process. So I, I totally relate to that personally as well. Uh, so looking ahead, what are you what are you most excited about um, the work that you're doing at Target? Um, what's what's on the horizon in terms of uh, some? I know it's as you said earlier, it's 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 sort of early for you in, in this new role, but 
Um, I'm sure you've got some some bigger initiatives planned. Anything you can talk about? Yeah, um, first and foremost with plant based, um, democratizing and making awareness of plant based for the masses. I think it's still like I said, there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of conversations and education to be had. I remember watching was it CBS Sunday Morning Show and seeing Beyond Meat and talking about the replication of the flavor. I'm like, wow, this is this is interesting, but like. Is there more to it? And I know there is. I know there is. And continuing to get deeper into the communities, um, like I said, communities of color, uh, women-owned businesses, and understanding what is the intersectionality of all of this. Uh, there's commonality and how do we all make sure that we're doing it efficiently and effectively together. And what this is, is showing up on shelf, um, making sure people are seen and, and feel belonged and target. The second thing is um, building a community. Of, of like-minded individuals who share those values to to kind of build the retail and kind of maybe not just build, but define retail and, and what it looks like. We talked a little bit on regionality, but also how do we show up in intersectionality across the region and across the nation? Because I'm in, I'm in certain areas, some part of the country, and I'm back at home in Minneapolis and you know, there's a, a bunch of restaurants and, and places you, you, you want to try and see. And then you get home, you're like, how do I cook that? How do I do it myself? How do I how do I engage in the um, the, the culinary arts, if you will? And I, I engage in certain TV shows and programs like High on the Hog. Like that was amazing. That was an amazing program for me to watch and say, like, I know that I've seen that I've had that before, but I haven't had that before. How do I get more of that? And I, I hope other people feel that way. I hope they want to stretch their palates and, and see and, and consume not only culture, but the food that resonates with um, other cultures. And uh, plant-based is one of those pieces that I think, you know, how does that make me feel uh, when, I, when I digest the amazing food that isn't certain proteins or isn't certain uh, uh, categories or in, in, in ingredients? Yeah, and... You're in a position to, to do that. That's what's powerful. Like, that is what's powerful. Really, and you know, you, you can't just do it because you want to. You can you can set, plant the seeds that allow those conditions to be created and for those um, to eventually germinate into something that could become national. So, for example, like in a, a particular food or flavor in a particular region, um, those can even, you know, so there's no reason why people who live on another side of the country or in another state might not be interested in it. They're probably just right. not really close to it. Um, and I think we've seen that happen. You know, that's that's why I draw a lot of correlations between cultural change and, you know, food habit change, because I think they're very similar. I mean, everyone's afraid of new things. Everyone's afraid of new people. Uh, they're afraid of new flavors and new spices. And um, they once you ease them into it and they realize it's actually – it's nothing to be afraid of. It's actually something you can probably relate to uh, and would maybe um, call your own one day. And that's how change happens, right? You, you can you learn how to embrace something that is maybe unfamiliar to you at first, but then before you know it, give it a few years, it becomes a staple. And we've seen that happen in food. We see that culturally happening. It just takes conversations. It takes building community. It creates, it, it, it takes creating a platform for it. And I really look at uh, some of the work that you're doing and and targeted general is that if you really strip it all down, it's it's like you've got this amazing opportunity and this platform um, to really foster those uh, those those cultural shifts, to foster those conversations, and to change those habits. 
and and do it in a way that isn't forced, but does it in a way that actually gets people to make the choice for themselves. So you're not like, you know, forcing new things down people's throats and saying, don't buy this because it's bad for the environment. You're, you're making it available and making it an attractive choice. You're merchandising it in a way that's exciting, where consumers want to be a part of it because it's aspirational versus uh, it's taking away something from them. So that's such an, such an important role that Target can play in, in the future of food and, and in retail in general. I was compared to giving people a context. Um, most times you intend to make good impact, but if you give people the context of your intention, the impact probably will, will, will come out even greater than you thought. Love that. Yeah. Uh, last question to close this uh, great conversation off is uh, I, I know you're going to be at Plant Based World Expo in uh, September in New York City. I'm going, looking forward to meeting you in person then. Uh, what are you most excited about uh, attending and speaking at this expo? It might sound redundant, but like I said, that community. Um, engaging and having human connections. Obviously, with COVID, I hadn't seen a lot of people face-to-face, so like, I'm itching to meet more and see more and be a part of the conversation. But um, I'm just excited to meet you, meet other people who know more than I do. I'm, a, I'm thirsty for knowledge, so I want to make sure that I'm, I'm there, I'm present, and, and grow my awareness and make sure that I'm not only advocating for it, but understanding it well enough that I can also build systems to, to support it. Well, Spencer Walker, thank you so much for your time today on the Eat Food Finance Podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. This is amazing. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and rate and review it. To learn more about this podcast or my work, go to eftp.co. That's EFTP.co. Thank you for listening.